0: Hello, I'm Melanie and I connect businesses with talented freelancers in the gaming industry. Today, I'm joined by Christopher, Matthew and Nicolò.
1: Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading-edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on the future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening. And I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast
0: before we get into the topic, uh, let's just work our way around the room with some introductions. Uh, Matt, if you'd like to start.
1: Hey, I'm Matt. I'm the CEO of Mystic Games. Um, We just started out making our first game. Um, I've personally been in the industry around 17 or so years. Um, Rodeo, King, Miniclip, Mag Interactive. Um, Sometime in Sweden, sometime in Berlin, sometime in Portugal, and started off in the UK uh, with Jagex and uh, a few other stuff BST and Nintendo.
0: Awesome. Um, Christopher?
1: Hello. My name is uh,
2: Christopher Ring, and I work as the uh, Senior uh, Product Marketing Manager over at Starbreeze Studios. And um, I've been in the industry for about um, 10 years-ish, and I worked at uh, Paradox Interactive uh, before coming here.
0: Lovely. And then Nicolo.
2: Hello. Um, I'm Nicolo. Um, I work
3: as a product manager at Quali. I've been in games for about four years now, always in the mobile industry. And yeah, thank you for inviting me here.
0: You're very welcome, sir. Um, cool. So now that we know like who you guys are, um, let's move on uh, to the topic that we've got today. So you all have a question on the gaming industry as a business. So, as usual, uh, we'll go around the room uh, asking each of you uh, to pose your question and also the reason behind it. Uh, and then each of you will have the opportunity to give your opinion and your take on it. Um, So, let's start with Nicolò and your question, please.
3: All right, thank you. So, as a product manager, my interest is, obviously, uh, you know, building products, right? So, what I was thinking about, given that we work in an industry where there's a lot of saturation when it comes, you know, to creativity and uh, it gets more and more difficult to to make something that takes off and is successful are there any safe bets when you do build your product and i mean this says you know how do you balance innovation and uh, you know proven practices to put together something that will take off all
2: right um <laughs> cool so um I uh, find this question really interesting, especially from the um, from the PM perspective where I'm uh, where I'm sitting. Um, I am uh, I often find myself in, in situations where I talk to uh, indie uh, devs uh, that has a has a pitch, uh, often very creative pitch, and sometimes with not too much you know business um, uh, oriented uh, parts, so to speak. And so my, my take on this is basically that, uh, I think creativity should obviously come first. Um, like the, the creative process needs to have its, um, uh, its place and its time. And then I, as a marketeer, try to figure out how to tie in a good, like monetization. Um, on top of that, the I house, um, usually I think it's good to, um, as early as possible in the process. Like if we're talking third party publishing, for example, um, to, um, uh, you know, a- as soon as, uh, we're, we're passing green light and you know, when we just started up work together with, a with the studio, um, to, to at that point, uh, figure out or start suggesting, um, what type of, of like revenue model or monetization model we would, would go with just to avoid. And the the uh, inconvenient situation where we figure that out at like you know alpha or something, and and then the, the developer have to uh, try to tie that onto the project, so to speak, uh, which is not fun for anyone, and and sort of meant to to fail. Um, but yeah, that's um, I think my my take on it. Um, you know, allowing creativity to come first, letting the devs do their thing and then not try to interfere too much. Like if it's, if it's a game that has a very clear, you know, story narrative and a linear narrative, then, um, it's probably, uh, you know, probably best to look at maybe a, a DLC model for a game like that and, and not, um uh, yeah, try to monetize in other ways that disturbs the creative experience, so to speak. I don't know if that makes sense or if that answers your question. Nico. It does. It does. It's actually something I hadn't thought about. Uh. Uh-huh nothing
3: you mentioned about you know you'll see models and that's that's pretty clever
1: thank you You. Yeah. hey thanks so like just looking at the question like is there any safe bets it depends what you would assess as a safe bet if there's something that's going to have a lot of impact if you have like a really really strong IP or if you have like a massive influencer not campaign but if it's actually made by massive influencer nowadays then you have a better chance of being out there but in the way i've seen it is that most games studios are kind of one game studios um and that like the second game is often the first one two or three or four or five um studios tend to grow inorganically by buying other studios that are already successful there's a lot of luck depending on the market I mean, if you're talking about AAA, I'm not as experienced there, so I would imagine that it's all about the IP and the rest, that is a safe bet if you have a great IP. If you're talking about mobile, I mean, an IP and the rest can help you, but there are a lot of safe bets, uh, and it does require a lot of luck. And you can tilt the scales with money. The more money you throw at a problem, obviously the better chance of success, but it's it's really about like, most games out there now um, in mobile markets relatively saturated by people who've been playing games for a very long time so if you are going for a deep game you have to make something better to rip people out of that and that might be Um, if you're going for something more shallow then you have to try lots and lots of ideas really fast and hope they hit and also keep up to date with all of the latest marketing trends the way you now analyze data all of that even with a billion dollar company backing you most of the games that you make will fail um so you when we set out to make games in bigger companies it's not like we say let's take a risky bet or a safe bet every game that we try and become is always the safest bet it's always something related to what's going on in the market where we think that will fit based on our expertise or based on the development team available or based even on the marketing budget or the area we're looking at we try to when we when we create new games for bigger places anyway, focus on the safest bet. That's like, none of us are out there saying, let's do something absolutely crazy in a large company that will not fly. Um, in a small company it doesn't fly either. So it's really like, um, the best way to say is there are no safe bets in mobile, potentially, um, there are things that have been done before that you, if you believe you can do better, you then have to win by marketing and in AAA i would imagine that you can be relatively sure of chance of success based on ip studio pedigree existing fan base however is there any chance of success of a brand new AAA studio popping up depends who's in it right backing it most success nowadays is about people not necessarily products that will get people to look at something products themselves everyone likes to say that ideas are worthless I don't quite believe that otherwise you wouldn't get a lot of games um actually changing things like pubg and all of those battle royals um, but it's really it's really about like the people now that's my take no safe bets maybe safer people backing stuff there is uh
3: thank you for that that's uh that interesting and i like how you you know you broke down between you know mobile and AAA or you know pc console and because effectively it's two different worlds uh, there, there's such there's so much difference between them um you know what i personally believe on this um, mm-hmm. it's something that i still you know in a way coming into terms because you know as, as a product manager i'm not uh, usually the you know the creative person coming in with the with the creative ideas and the innovation you know my, my job is to make sure that something can be skilled and makes money and it can be successful so you know what i i see happening and what I would like to uh, to continue to happen is, you know, whenever we have an idea, you know, studio, big or small, uh, it, it matters to an extent. Uh, what I would like to see is, you know, if an idea is uh, clever, right, you come up with a design, something new, it's not done, been done before, which, you know, a lot, oftentimes you, I feel like developers feel like, hey, we are the first ones doing this, let's just go on and do it. But is anybody asking for it? And that is my, you know, my biggest, big, gripe here, right? So a lot of the games out there, and I think it's an issue with a lot of the, the indie games as well, is there are brilliant ideas everywhere, but there isn't necessarily any demand for them, which is why it gets difficult at times to, you know, make a game fly. I've worked on games, you know, in the past that. Were brilliant, they had like bits of design that nobody's done before, they just failed. They never made it past you know any uh self launch or beta launch, whatever you want to call it. And you know, it just happens. And uh, so you know, safe, safe bets, I kind of agree, like that there isn't a whole lot that can be done, there is a lot of money that can be thrown around, definitely. You know, if if you have like a lot of backing, what you can do, you know, you do your market research, you do your player interviews, trying to understand where the players want this, which is. You know next to impossible for smaller smaller studios to do unless they have actual funding and trying to go you know uh again i may be biased because of my role but try to go the the data way analytics way right trying to see whether the market wants this thing and then if it does then then go for it and but really really go for it and every step of the way gather as much feedback as you can um i i'm big big fan but also you know at times frozen when i need to you know decide on what to do next and uh you know if i don't have data i cannot want to park whatever i'm thinking because why take a risk when they know that there's a safer approach and this may be down to my personality or down to my you know my past experiences but yeah I'm trying to understand what people want what it is that you're trying to sell them the other than that a lot of luck like you said you need to get a lot of luck and if you if you hit jackpot you're gonna you know make money and make players happy but it's like one
2: million yeah i think i think that the, what you mentioned about the research and data is uh is interesting like um I, i've i been previously in my in my career i was very um uh, hesitant to to make you know to, to make decisions without being backed up by the data, which I think is, is a very, you know, um, it is a smart uh, approach to decisions, but, but lately I'm um, more and more started to rely on, on my gut feeling, uh, like together with data. But I guess that's, it. also is a, I think an experience thing where you've been through similar situations in the past a few times, and you know that like, okay, I could spend X amount of money on, on research. But the, to solve this, you know, this problem, uh, or I could rely on, you know, my my team members, got feeling a little bit more, and just like go for it, um, which is probably uh, <laughs> a, a, a comment that most marketeers these days wouldn't uh, wouldn't say is it, wise, but I I feel like it gets me, you know, it often gets me through the through the day, and it gets me to a decision, and and a lot of the times that the important thing that we just move forward and not get stuck in uh, you know will the players like this feature or will they not like this feature then you know we can either we can do a big big research study around that or we can just say like we, we believe that we know them well enough that they will enjoy this um, and then move forward.
1: Yeah that's true and I think version control is something people often forget about I mean maybe it's a bit different from for AAA, um but in mobile we have live games we can update them um and a lot of games as a service are also on console now and if you have an idea you are always correct until you put it in front of players this is a common thing people can debate either way um but if the debate to do it or not is more expensive than the money it could potentially increase if you're like arguing about changing the color of a button or some messaging or something maybe the the time is better spent doing something else um when it comes to when it comes to data it can tell you a hell of a lot and you can't be without it but what it can't tell you is what is going to get found seen looked at and then enjoyed it can tell you you've got a terrible game um but you should be able to tell yourself if you have a terrible game very early on so i mean it's about testing a lot of stuff to make things succeed as well but it's uh yeah you make really good points about are you making something players want that's like 100% of the game succeed because people want them um so it's incredibly important that you can find those players to get in your games um to play them early and it's it's not even just about feedback or whether you believe you're right or not it's like does that person open up their wallet and pay for your game this will keep your lights on and that's that's the whole point it's um it's trying to make something that people are enjoying enough that they will actually pay for as an experience and that's a high threshold that is an incredibly high threshold considering the amount of stuff we get for free um so it's it's an interesting one and yeah data is super critical on that as well i believe but yeah um it's it's basically about the time you take to do stuff right um the more more shots you take the more chances you have to hit um and then the more shots you take, the more data you get from that, which is also good. So yeah.
3: Yeah, I, I wanted to uh, add one thing that actually, uh, Christopher, you mentioned, but it kind of relies on it relies on what you said, Matt, as well. Like when it comes to the people building the game, right, the, the experience, and you know, you were mentioning about gaff feeling, and it's something that uh, you know, over the years, as as you see situations, you it, it, it tend to start recognizing patterns and when. when something might take off or not which is incredibly important which is why what I'm seeing you know lately we're seeing a lot of newer studios popping in that you know it's the, the industry as a whole is uh is going crazy I think in the last five years and a lot of you know devs that have worked for you know big conglomerates big companies for like 10-15 years are kind of branching off and doing their own thing and oftentimes are actually having success and it's probably because the they have seen a lot of situations. They've seen, a, you know, a project that took off and a thousand that were shut down, and effectively built their own internal, you know, cerebral database uh, of things. Um, so it's very
2: interesting. One day I'll get there, hopefully. Well, uh... I, I, I want to add that I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trust my gut feeling for like, you know, bigger, uh, you know, game-changing. Uh, stuff. It's more like uh, the smaller day-to-day things or like the week-to-week things, um, for sure. Um, so so yeah, that's um, just something to add. And I understand that like an indie dev, for example, might not be in that position where they can, uh, you know, have, have the luxury of, of
1: doing that. Um, so
0: yeah. Nice. Cool. All right, let's move on to Matt's question.
1: Yeah, so my question was to everyone What is it about your second game after your first successful one that makes it so hard? Um, I have obviously too many opinions on this, but I'd like to throw it out to um, Nicolas, see what you think about this. Cool. This is a
3: tough one. It's us talk about a long <clears throat> question, right? Um, so, coming from a uh, I didn't have a whole lot, you know, of experience on this but in situations what I feel like is that we run the risk of getting stuck into our own partners and biases. Meaning that you make a first game, it's successful because it came it comes out in the right moment, in the right market, address the right people. When you say, Cool, I'm gonna make the second one But then the second one is gonna take you, you know, two, three, four, five years to develop. And at that time, is it still relevant? Again, it kind of links back a little bit to what I was saying earlier. You know, is there a customer for what you're doing? And I feel like this is this might be one of the reasons why you know second games fail, or one of the reasons why um, you know it's uh, it's very difficult to to remain relevant with uh, with a sequel at times, especially when you stay staying the same IP. And I have uh, uh, an opinion that's very close to me here. It might be a bit unpopular. I'm going share risking so uh take god of war ragnarok right for example i played the first one loved it gold the trophies i played the second love the gold the trophies but effectively from a design point of view a second one to me felt a lot like a dlc of the first one it takes the first one in space expands on it it adds new mechanics but it's not a whole different game you know it's, it's basically building upon something that already worked but for a game like God of War, it might work because the FP is incredibly strong. It's one of the strongest out there. There's millions of fans, people that have been waiting for years for a game like this to come out. And so in, in cases like this, the biggest risk was you know, when the first, quote unquote, first God of War game came out, which had so many changes in terms of you know, gameplay compared to you know, the previous ones, you know, going a little bit more RPG, uh, being a, maybe a little bit slower, you know, not as action. Uh, so that was the big risk. But then, you know, in the second one, given the case we were discussing, it was almost a given that would have made money, right? That would have been successful. Now take away the IP, take away something with an audience that, uh, loves it so much, then it's, you're basically back to square one. The fact that you're making a sequel to a game that has success does not mean that it's gonna be successful unless again you have uh, a fan base that's so big that you, you're basically cashing in on that other than that i mean what what i would do uh in that situation is start a square one you know again do your research try to understand whether people want to see like they love the first one they do want, they want a second one but if it's a sequel you know if you're going an entire new direction, it, even better. You know, if you're doing a different game, different genre, different gameplay, then again, you don't know nothing. You're starting from from a blank sheet. So it's a it's a very tough.
1: Yeah, I agree with you on that. And maybe when I was when I was thinking about this, I wasn't necessarily considering that like a sequel is almost counted as another game. I mean, if you look at some of the studios, some of the big ones, I was thinking about, it's like. You could say that, for example, Bethesda and the other games they've spun out are oh, nowhere near like Elder Scrolls. And so you make God of War, you only make God of War. Do you think that is basically the only way to guarantee success is to just remake variations of your first hit, or do you think there is actually a thing of like if you look at say King, for example, there was Candy Crush and then Candy Crush Soda, all of the rest, but they also made other games that were not quite as hits. Do you see? Be your sort of philosophy is it like. Just don't bother with other games when you got one hit. Just redo that and then maybe, you know, build on it in some way. It depends. Like if you are trying to make money, you know,
3: and, and I'm going to sound harsh here, right? If you're if you're running a business, effectively we're making games, but you we are, it's a business, right? If you're trying to make money, make a profit, and be successful and expand, then why not just exploit the system, right? And I mean, you know we, and I think this is the case of why we're seeing so many remakes uh, and you know remasters lately there's games that came out 10 15 20 years ago and were successful there's nostalgia people just want to play them again and then this company is like hey we can make money out of this so again I'm not gonna say it's soulless <laughs> but uh you're effectively just doing something to make money out of it. now uh if you're taking the other approach when you're like okay I you know, I want to make games because make, making games is fun, and I love games. Then that's when you have a little bit more trouble because you need to invent something, like come out with you know, for nowhere. And again, nothing against companies or studios who do build upon previous successes, just by tweaking a product and you know, calling it new. And I'm gonna sound horrendous here,
2: this year, but um, it, it depends on what you're trying to do, right? Yeah, I uh, I agree with uh, with a lot uh, that you're saying, uh, Nico. I I think if we're talking about like a sequel to an established game, as um, was mentioned here, then uh, I I think there's a very fine balance between catering to your like the the fans that you have and the fans that you will have with your sequel, right? Like um, and that then it comes down to like how much uh, from your first game that was great in your you know the first game do you put into the second one without making it you know the same game with a new uh label on it so i think that's the that's the difficult part to to find the sweet spot there because you want you want some innovation and you want some some new ground that that can be interesting to to new players but you also don't want to make you don't want you don't want to make your your core audience feel like you've left them behind so to speak Uh, i think that's um that's that's a difficult thing when you're doing like a, a sequel to, to a, a, an established game. Then, if we're talking about like you know indie games, indie studios that are making that that made one first game and then start make start to make you know their their second game, uh, which is not connected to the first one, um, yeah. then I, I think that that would be a lot harder because then you don't have that data. You don't necessarily know maybe what you know, worked and what you can remake or reuse so to speak in your second and uh, your second game and, and you know a lot of the the smaller studios don't have a, the luxury of having a lot of those analytic um teams and, and functions um, in-house so then um i guess it comes down to trying to find that you know creativity that you uh, that, that you found that the first time when you did your first game which i'm imagining uh is is very very difficult and uh, and and potentially pretty scary yeah i'm just adding to that as well, I think it's for for game developers in general. I, I think we tend to look at sequels as something that you kind of need to do. Uh, like you need to make a new game. Um, when I in fact believe that that's like part of a and a business model that is pretty old and it is very established. You know that you make a you make a sequel and you make a new product, but if you're not as, as Nico, as you mentioned, if you if you're not making any big like technical leap, like if you're going from you know, if you go from one engine to another, then you need to release a second game. But I think it it can also be a case of you know looking in sort of looking in the mirror and, and considering just going uh, you know m- making your game as a as a sort of live service product instead rather than releasing a, a second product just because you need to make you know. The next one um, because a lot of games could definitely just continue as a live service and don't have to release you know yearly uh, versions so to speak
1: thanks for the answers on that one i mean it's it's really obviously very different take from in mobile i mean and also the scale of the games that you need to make but it does sound like from both of you and how you're looking at things is essentially it's almost impossible right to make a different game from franchise that you've already proven um and just to add a few of my own points here um definitely only my own points games are hard to make very very hard to make um and that is that's the thing like 90% of them fail and most of them fail at the studio but i do think we do often when we are forming new game teams do them a disservice like one of the things is often with the first game maybe the founders of the company are directly involved maybe um those people when that game succeeded they take home a huge share of those rewards and maybe when you're trying to make a game you've already got an established corporation if you don't give them that same risk or reward if you if you like final fantasy was the last fantasy game they were going to ever make um and that's why it's called final fantasy because if they didn't do that and they didn't succeed they would be out of jobs so if you don't have that huge risk reward then maybe it's really not on you to make that next game um, and that could be why smaller studios get bought out. But it's also the fact that often in a larger company, we have a product that is making a lot of money. And we choose either people who don't want to work on that product anymore, or people who are like maybe a little junior, or, not absolutely mis- or people who are not mission critical for that product. And we take those people and we say, hey, you people, let's make a game. So we're doing something that's already incredibly hard to do. We're taking people who are like some of them. motivation might just be i don't want to work on x project some of them their motivation is like hey i'm new here i'm going to do all the crazy things then we take those people we put them in a team and we say hey you have a couple of weeks to come up with a prototype Go. On. um and there's a few things with that right does the team know each other do they work together if you have powers of company they have worked together i mean team building is like everyone goes on about it but it's about people who know each other and who work together well and can trust each other and just like hand off tasks. Um, if you don't have that in your new team, is it going to be as good as the team that founded the company and got all of that success? I mean, I've often heard founders of other companies, quite large companies, sometimes saying things like, we built our first game in eight weeks, why is it taking so long to build this next game? And there's a difference, because most coders could probably code nowadays, like GTA 1. Um, but, you know, doing the same, like starting at where people have got to versus starting where people started out it's also a massive challenge for a small team um small team in a large company indie company whatever uh, if once you go beyond a small team in a big company everything else becomes luck so if you have motivated people who are like in a live, or live situation know each other very well it's really about luck can they succeed but the second game is hard because it's just the conditions are not there for the first game um that's why i guess everyone loves sequels and sequels in movies it's i don't know how long it's been since i've seen some original ib um at the cinema like or even on on the games like most of the games i play now have iterations of above four like they made these games for this set of people who are the same age as us now and they keep making the same games for us Uh so it's really funny i just wonder what's going to happen with all the gen z's been growing up online and in roblox are they going to make their own games and just ignore the rest of us it's um it's a you know different world yeah i agree i think what's going to happen is that we're going to all retire and enjoy our pensions
3: and <laughs> no, yeah i care about that no but the one you made a really good point and i just wanted to add uh, one thing here and um, about the people because this is something that I, I never actually thought about before joining the gaming industry you know when it was a a young person that just enjoyed games for what they were and you know when you buy you buy a game and it's got a studio or a, you know behind the right we don't know we as players or you know them as players the you know, players don't know who made the game right i don't know who was the the lead designer the lead dev like it's you know if it says it, it can't say you know ea but you don't know that it's the same EA that made your, your first game, right? Is might be a di- might be a different team, might be God knows what happened, right? Unless so, it's the, the 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 people factor here is huge because you bring in your expertise, you bring in whether people work well together, you bring in a, a wealth of knowledge that might shift inside a company, and that that's why I always find it fascinating when uh, you know when you go and buy a game where you get excited because it's like, oh, this game has been made by Kojima, right? We're not saying it's been made by X-Studio, it's been made by Kojima. Or Yazaki in the case, you know, you were mentioning, you know, the, uh, I think you said Elden Ring, or, you know, all these, like, big design names that have become famous because time after time they would just hit it home. And, uh, yeah, I think they might have an easier life and this ties into the, the first question I asked because the IP in this case is the designer behind the game, you know, might be a brand new IP look at, uh, uh, Oh my God, the words, uh, Death Stranding, right? New IP, but who's the name behind it? Why did, why was that success? You know, and then obviously you have, you know, man in the game. You have, you know, all, all faces that people know. So it's a whole other thing, but that's an incredibly important factor, which oftentimes in mobile does not exist. Because mobile devs are you know, faceless <laughs> people, uh, I don't think uh,
2: players really do know mobile devs, you know. So we need to. Uh, um, I, I need to get out uh, there a bit more. I, I I tend to think about the, like I, I listened to a lot of um, podcasts and and I read articles lately about you know the the, the early nineties of video games, and I um I'm, I'm born in '87, so I I can't really say that I remember too much of that other than you know when you picked up uh mario bros for the first time at the at the like rental place where you could rent games which was like a thing that you did uh, you know rented cartridges um but I, I i sometimes think about how the industry has changed so tremendously like from that time where a game is delivered a gold master is is created and then is sent to stores and sold and and rented out and compared to today when there's so much meta around each game right like you know a community manager can be a superstar within you know for for a specific game like you know them they are celebrities and and that that makes you have an opinion about the product itself which is a little strange if you think about it you know because the game experience is meant to be an isolated experience with you and the game like of course with a with a lot of other people you play online but um, yeah, that, that meta layer to games these days is, uh, very fascinating, I think. Awesome.
0: All right, cool. Um, and then let's move to the final question from Christopher.
2: All right. Um, cool. So yeah, I, I thought about this quite a lot lately because we, um, have been doing some recruitment and, um, um, going back and forth about like how we, um, what, what type of background I've been looking at, um, when, when hiring, um. Uh, people to to the marketing team um and so um, naturally you you want to either go with you know you, you want you want someone with the with a games background or like a games interest uh, preferably um uh, that made me think a little bit about what we um like in terms of innovation and in terms of like getting new ideas into into the studio and into to the industry in general um and it also ties back to the you know the common references that we have um so you know when when you see games pitches these days a, a lot of the time they stand on on a common like shared ground that we have um you know we i'm i'm, I'm pretty pretty safe in guessing that we in this call um have a lot of the same references as like star wars uh, maybe you know board games uh, dungeons and dragons 90s video games you know um which is great, but something that I've been thinking about is like, how does that affect the industry when we keep hiring people with the same type of, you know, pop cultural references? Um, because it's the fate, but when, you know, on the flip side, uh, hiring someone from outside the industry, it might take longer to kind of onboard those people and, and they need to, to get into, to, you know, the, the jargon and, and all that. But in the end, they can bring a lot of fresh perspectives and ideas. And I'm I'm looking at this from a marketing, publishing perspective. But I'm guessing that this is this goes for for development as well and and for the for the like studio side uh, when it comes to making the actual products. Um, not sure if this question made sense now when I <laughs> when I asked it like this, but I'll uh, I, I hope it did. And I'll if uh, I send it over to uh, to Nico, any thoughts? Lots of thoughts. I'm trying to, to organize them so I don't flood. Them. Yeah, the question, the question wasn't very well organized. No, no, it's no. in the asking. I understand it. It's <laughs> all so good.
3: No, right. So personally speaking, and I'm going to take this into two stages, right? Should we think it's a box to hire outside the industry? I am, you know, uh, an example of this because my background is financial economics. I didn't study games. I didn't study games. I, I was obviously a gamer and, uh, but I was hired based on uh, you know my my knowledge, my qualifications, my skills, and then obviously I had to do a whole lot of training, a lot of, you know, a lot of mentoring was needed for me to kind of pick up the pace of it. Um, and I'm a, I'm a fan of the like you know the sabermetric approach. So think about Moneyball as a film or a book. If you read the book, where you know when you try to assemble a winning team, you don't go for people who are journalists that have a lot of experience on everything. You just go for people who have specific skills to do a specific task. And I think that would be an interesting approach to take, an approach that I've seen taken in, uh, you know, in my career, where you hire somebody because they excel at something in particular, right? Everything else can be taught to them. Everything else can be, uh, you know, experienced and learned over time. Now, taking an approach like this, you kind of open up to what you were saying of you don't just keep it closing to, Quote unquote, our niche of uh you know 90s pop culture let's call it right so you know you, you get people outside that maybe had a different background different upbringing or you know a different generation altogether somebody who has uh fresh opinions fresh uh preferences and i think in a way that's what is leading to you know what led to the last decade of expansion in game design there's so many different games so many different ideas that have come into the market you know there's new uh you know fun bases being created around and i want to think and i don't have any basis for this this is just you know my personal belief i want to think that this is why it happened because people you know obviously the industry expanded so more people from the outside let's go to the outside not denigratory you know meaning behind it but uh, people from the outside joined it and brought a whole new wealth of, of ideas and we should definitely do that because how do you evolve and succeed right you need to you know open up and change you get stuck in your own ways and we're not going anywhere you know if we're still making you know I for example love with all my heart doom right but if we're still making doom nowadays i don't think the industry would have been you know as as big as uh as it's become because
1: it naturally evolved over the years so yeah yeah makes sense i, th- I, I mean i feel like they have been making doom forever right i mean it's they, <laughs> there's a few sequels right <laughs> there we go so doom has been under construction forever and it has been the same in the last i don't know 10 years 20 years whatever it's been and um, there is still multiple sellers there's still multiple all of these things when it comes to specifically hiring outside of the box for me i think um the main thing is to strip away as much as you can the kind of prejudices about around about culture and about that kind of understanding look purely at raw skills and will that person be able to do what you ask them to do and in time in and communicate with everyone else and the rest of the team. If they can do that, then it's all good for me. It's all good. But yeah. That's my point on it. Right?
2: Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Um I think adding adding to this is also like um um I, I think you know a lot of us have a have a very a large passion for what we do, obviously. Um it's been clear when talking to you guys that we all you know we all kind of like video games. Uh so um but but I think also when you when you look to hire someone who has that passion for the specific product, it might be a win in the short term because you get someone who's you know willing to do everything for for the game in, in question that you're working on, regardless of what game it is. But like uh, I, I feel like in the long run, uh, it can lead to negative aspects as well, where you have someone who is you know lives for the product and lives for the Game, uh, you know, in a way, um, and and might not have that ability to kind of turn off work, so to speak, uh, because you know you, yeah, you go home and you continue to play the game, uh, <laughs> you know, and then you go to work and you play the game, you talk about the game. Uh, so I think that's uh, something that I've taken taken into this as well. That uh, and an upside of hiring from outside of the industry is that you get you get someone who who will come in and do their very specific task in, in, the best possible way, you know, with the right competence. Um, and then also be able to say like, okay, now my work day is done. I need to charge my batteries and I will do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Thank you both. Oh, thank you. That's
3: a, that's a very interesting topic that, you know, open up for a lot more things to, to think about. my.
0: Yeah. I mean, as each question could be a podcast topic in itself, right? Um, also that was such an interesting conversation. So like, before we end the podcast, um, I just like to say, uh, thanks so much to all of our guests for coming on, sharing their thoughts and opinions in today's conversation. And just once again, on today's podcast, we've had Christopher from Starbreeze, Nicola from Quarley, and, uh, Matthew at Mystic Games. Uh, if you're hiring for new technical roles or looking for a new role, (laughs) feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, uh, you can drop me a message too. I'm Melanie, and you can find me on LinkedIn or email me at melanie.lindsayevolution Nordics.com or visit us at evolutionjobs.com forward slash SE. Thanks again to all of our guests, and thank you guys for listening. We hope you can join us next time.